Welcome to Meetings with Remarkable Educators. Each podcast is a dialogue between me, Ba Lovemore, and an educator who sees the greatness in their students and touches the whole of their being. These educators defy generalizations. So, here's a bit about what they've done and how I came to know them. I knew of Four Arrows through his books and his comments on Josette's book, Grow Together. They'd each detained their PhDs at the highly regarded Fielding Graduate Institute. Fortunately, I wasn't trapped into believing I truly knew the man. Four Arrows is a brilliant expositor of indigenous education and its relationship to holistic education. He has a profound appreciation and participation in indigenous spiritual practices. He's a talented piano player and exudes bright energy and incisive, almost fearsome intellect. So, I was a touch intimidated when I asked him to join me for a podcast. Adding to my concern, he was my first guest ever, and I wasn't even sure how to run the equipment. Within 10 seconds, my concerns evaporated. Four Arrows' warmth and enthusiasm just carried us along. I'm sure you'll feel it as you listen. Four Arrows, also known as Dr. Don Trent Jacobs, is faculty at the School of Leadership Studies at Fielding Graduate Institute, is formerly Dean of Education at Oglala Lakota College, and tenured Associate Professor at Northern Arizona University. With doctorates in health psychology and in curriculum and instruction with a cognate in indigenous worldview, he has authored 21 books and numerous other publications relating to wellness, critical theory, education, and indigenous worldview. His publications have been praised by a number of notable thinkers, including John Pilger, Greg Kajete, Noam Chomsky, Tom Hartman, Henry Giraud, Sam Keane, Bruce Lipman, Dan Millman, Vine Dolores Jr., and many others. Arrow elected him as one of 27 visionaries for their text, Turning Points, and he is recipient of a number of recognitions for his activism, including the Martin Springer Institute's Moral Courage Award. Four Arrows was the first alternate for the 1996 Olympic equestrian endurance team and placed fourth in World Championship Old Time Piano Contest. So here we go. Well, it's good to be with you. So thank you. And I am in awe here and I'm a little bit nervous because of all you've done and your great, unbelievable commitment to life, to truth to wisdom. It's just so inspiring. Oh, that's so gracious, gracious of you. I, I just think I'm, I'm lucky because in holistic education, we have interest in lots of things. And I've been interested in lots of things. So I, I wind up doing lots of things. But I think I'm really more of a, uh, what do they call it, a jack of all trades and a master of none, <laughs> right? Yeah. When you said this morning, the one thing that struck me is when you were including the other people's perspective, and you talked about a different worldview is necessary. What And this is something that's troubled me or I've been concerned with for 30 years, really. What allows the switch to the perspective? 
What a, what a beautiful starting question. Um, uh, Robert Redford in 1950s, uh, University of Chicago, really the first social anthropologist, he uh, said essentially that there were originally only three worldviews operating in the 20th century. And he said that was the Asian Eastern worldview, the Western worldview, and what he called the primal worldview. Later in life, he began to change that. And he said, there's only really now two historically observable functioning worldviews because the Asian Eastern one has really been subsumed under the dominant one. So we've got a dominant one that's maybe eight or 9,000 years old. And in my most recent book, Point of Departure, Returning to Our More Authentic Worldview for Education and Survival, I, I place it around 9,000 years ago. But for 99% of human history, we lived according to this other worldview that uh, we can refer to here as an indigenous worldview. Now, keep in mind that, that, that most scholars do think that there are hundreds of worldviews, and, and that's how they refer to worldview. I, I agree with, with Redfield that there are just two and that under the dominant worldview, there are thousands of cultures. There are tens of thousands of, of belief systems and, and there's hundreds of religions. And they're very unique and diverse. But they have a common set of assumptions such as hierarchy and anthropocentrism and a number of other things. Under indigenous worldview, there are... a reduced number, unfortunately, but there are many, many diverse, very diverse cultures. Um, But they also have common themes. And their common themes stand in stark contrast to those themes in the dominant worldview. So for me, that's what I, in my work, and what the spirits have told me to study is all, all about. I always try to preface by saying Ultimately, indigeneity is not about this pan-Indian broad view and the common themes. It's ultimately about the power of being in one place for many generations and learning how that one place works. And that's where languages emerge from. And unfortunately, that form of indigeneity is dying. Our languages are dying. 80% of the biodiversity on this planet is on only 20% of the land that's still occupied by those few cultures that still have that wisdom. So, But I don't have that local wisdom, and so my job is to try to talk about, well, let's at least do some worldview reflection and see what it is in our dominant worldview that is, is, is causing us to destroy every life system on the planet. So to paraphrase then, you're saying that a way into a holistic understanding is to look at the dominant worldview and notice its defects. And, well, I'm, uh, you have such a global and transcultural perspective. My work, so my own sense of self has always been from individual out. I don't, by that, I don't mean separate. I mean just within us and so on. Is education of uh, people enough about the indigenous perspective? Is there something in consciousness? I mean, you know, do we have to do a vision quest? Do we have to um, – what, what do we have to do? Because there's a switch in consciousness. And that can be brought into education and experiential education, holistic education, of course. But I really believe that for all of indigenous histories of our – and when I say indigenous, again, I'm talking about us as as indigenous to the planet. 
um, uh, if we could stop killing the indigenous and start supporting those that are still struggling to hold on to these these old values, that would be that would be good. But we have to also learn again how to be indigenous to wherever we are living, and we can't do that with willful determination. For for most of our our history, we knew if we wanted to be more generous, if we wanted to hunt better, we had to go into an other form of consciousness. And that other form of consciousness, we got into it through chanting, through dancing, through ombleches or vision quests, uh, sometimes plant medicine that the, the plants would teach us. But we knew that just our, our, our the, the brainwave frequency that we're probably in right now, which is beta, and of course they, we didn't know we have to have that kind of jargon, but we understood we had to shift. And, and, and that's, I think, why, how we were able to maintain because – the foibles of jealousy and greed and whatnot are, are, are in everybody and always have been. But the cultures that watched nature and observed nature and saw how nature worked created cultures that were um, able to sustain balance and, and, and relative flowing harmony. But we had to use this, let's call it hypnosis, because that's the term nowadays – for this phenomenon, I prefer so, different states of consciousness myself. Yeah, most of it. Yeah, and, and, and because hypnosis in my book, uh, Prentice Hall published called "Patient Communication for First Responders." It's all about how people at the scene of an emergency are in spontaneous hypnosis, and that what we say to them can have the same effect as hypnotic uh, work on the autonomic nervous system. So you can save lives with it, right? And uh, but I wasn't allowed to use the word hypnosis. Because of the the, the the rhetoric of back the background rhetoric sure. that's so negative, but if you want to have people go study this in the annals of, of medicine and in psychology, you know that's the word that that really describes the the phenomenon, right? And to say change of consciousness, wow, consciousness is all over the place, right? Whereas you can teach techniques of self because all hyp- hypnosis is self hypnosis when you're in control of it. The problem in our world is. We have taken and, and subjected hypnosis to such a distance in Hollywood or whatever um, that we don't know about it and we are susceptible during times of fear to the rhetoric of people like Rush Limbaugh or whomever understands techniques like, you want to use my pen or yours to sign the contract, right? And so we are, how else can you explain that in the short 1% of human history, we have destroyed every life system on this planet if it's not a hypnotic trance logic that we're using. I, I, I totally agree. I, I've spent many years uh, working in rites of passage. Um, I've done it with whole families together. I've done it with many uh, young people. I've done it with groups of young people. And there's a wonderful group here in Ashland called Boys to Men Oh, I want to tell you about this. I yeah. see if it's interesting to you. And um, I believe deeply in rite of passage also for children around 10 and a half or 11. My understanding of human development says that a window opens then for f- a feeling transcendence. And th- th- so this group, uh, uh, the man in charge, agreed to that and for five years been doing a rite of passage for boys. And it's really pretty powerful. Yeah. But this year, I said, I want to do it for boys and girls together. And we did it for 18, nine boys and nine girls mm-hmm. together for a three-day rite of passage. Now, this is not um, in, the Native Amer- in, the, in the indigenous tradition because I'm not 
of that culture. How did it work out? It was amazing. It was fantastic. And this idea for me of bringing the boys and girls together at this very vulnerable age to see one another and to have trans or non-ordinary experiences from a positive platform, that's is that, do you think, and let's be really honest here, do you think that's going to be a legitimate attempt to move people to a more indigenous well, well, perspective? Well, 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 from an indigenous perspective, um, you're right that our rites of passage, there was rites of passages for boys and men and right, right for, rites of passages for, for women that were as, as, separate, as separate events. But that was in a very different milieu of where there was a high degree of respect for, for women. Um, uh, I know that uh, in the uh, a book called uh, or a chapter in my Unlearning the Language of Conquest book, um, uh, uh, a, a, um, Bruce Johansson writes a, a chapter called Adventures in Denial about the Iroquois Confederacy as being a foundational reason for the United States Constitution. And, and he talks about how when uh, Benjamin Franklin had invited one of the Iroquois men to come in to, to talk about their form of, of government, which had all the, the different systems like we have today. The first words recorded uh, were when he looked around at the seven men with wigs on were, where are your women, right? And so, so um, I think in this in this environment, in the Western culture, when 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 the, the the role of women has been so diminished on so many levels, that there aren't many opportunities for uh, for the kind of learning that would allow a, a all male rite of passage to include the solar and lunar dynamics and, and that relate and honor the feminine. I think it's a brilliant idea to and, and that from an indigenous perspective to be able to bring these these two things together. Thank you. And but to the essential question, I'm sorry if you want to change the subject, that's fine, but I what allows the switch? What allows the switch to that different well, perspective? We're back to the trans-based learning. Yeah. I, I don't think there's any I don't think that you can do it with all the knowledge and talking right. that that there is. I think that that and it's so and it's so simple. Um, you know, I was diagnosed with uh, terminal cancer in March of 2008. And um, I'll, I'll show you how this is relevant to your question. And uh, uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And I, I opted not to do the chemo, not to do the surgery for the tumors. And uh, part of my you know, exercise, organic food, all that kind of stuff, vitamin D from the sun, but self-hypnosis, I think it was an important part of the equation. And, and, and so all hypnosis, like I said earlier, was, is ultimately self-hypnosis, but we have lost the skills. But so, it's so simple to do. I mean, if you all, all the definition, and I taught this at UC Berkeley, all you have to be able to, to, to do is believe in an image. So if I could sit here right now and, and imagine uh, my, my, my hand lifting, and I could use various techniques depending on myself. Maybe helium balloons tied to it or a beautiful nurse coming in and lifting it up. <laughs> you know, yeah. And so, so I can sit here and right now as I'm talking, I can double task and I can begin to imagine it. And I, th- I think I'll use the beautiful nurse. You know? <laughs> and, so, and, so, and so I'm imagining this beautiful, this beautiful nurse coming in as I'm talking to you and, and, and it's starting actually to, to, to lift up. And there's a lot of things you can imagine that can make things lift up, right? <laughs> okay. So, so and, and, and as soon as it starts to happen, I know that the idiomotor neurons in, in my hand are really what's happening. 
but idioneuron activity, like a pendulum swinging back and forth, don't happen until we shift into a different brainwave frequency that we know allows us to have open heart surgery, right? Uh, and so, wow. So now if we can get the, through the education, the wisdom that, that, that we're talking about with holistic education, and we go, okay, so I really want to be less anthropocentric. I want, to, I want to stop being so human-centered and really start learning and understanding that other creatures and, and, and entities have, have a wisdom and, and, and are, 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 are relatives. I'm going to stop referring to natural resources. I'm going to start calling them my relatives, but i got to be authentic. And right now, that doesn't make sense. So what's the trigger point? What's the turning point that can do this is your question. And the turning point is that, okay, once I have the cognitive truth and I've really studied it enough to go, okay, it's got enough credibility for me to want to process it. Now I'm going to have the beautiful girl come in, <laughs> right? Or I'm going to get the pendulum going in a major circle or I'm going to do whatever it is that I do or I know that I feel that I'm in this hall and I'm going to begin to imagine being that way in a particular situation that day where I am actually now seeing the non-human world in this indigenous way. And then you do an in vivo exposure by actually practicing it and go, wow, I, I felt a little different. And then you practice that. But I, I believe without the trance-based learning, let's call it. Mm-hmm. Sure. Without, T, let's call it TBL. Yeah. Without that, we, we, that education alone is just going to keep bumping into walls. It's teaching story time. Briefly, teaching stories invite us to see the world with a new perspective, often featuring a wise person, a wise fool, or a trickster animal. They can be humorous and often have many shades of meaning shining throughout the story. I have told teaching stories for the past 40 years, and I love them. And I have to tell you, each time I tell one, I learn much more myself. Today, Our story is from the indigenous education community, and it involves a trickster animal. Once upon a time, a long time ago, a horrible monster stole all the buffalo from the plains and put them in his mountain hideout. There, beamed the monster, I have enough food to last forever. Coyote, a wild dog, called all the people and all the animals together in a great meeting to figure out what they could do. No one had an idea. They were too afraid of the monster to think at all. I scouted the monster, Coyote spoke up. He lives with a very small boy. We cannot hurt a child, said one of the people, not even to get back our buffalo. That's understood, Coyote nodded. But I was thinking, a small boy must be very lonely with no one to love except a horrible monster. I think we should give him a pet to love. When the chance arises, the pet we send can set the buffalo free. All the people and all the animals thought this was a marvelous idea. First, they sent Mouse to win the heart of the small boy. And the small boy liked Mouse and took him home. But the monster told the boy to send Mouse away. Next, the people sent Kildeer, a bird, but the bird fared no better. Coyote called another meeting. I think Coyote told all the people and all the animals that I must go myself. That very day, Coyote set out for the monster's lair. 
When the boy saw Coyote, his eyes brightened. The boy loved Coyote immediately and took him home. The monster was very angry. Get that mangy dog out of here before I eat you both. The boy and Coyote ran out of the lair. The boy sat down. He tried not to cry, but a tear ran down one cheek. Coyote licked it away. Poor dog, sighed the boy. I bet you're hungry. Coyote put back his head and howled. That is the sound Coyote makes to comfort you. The buffalo heard Coyote's cry. It frightened them. They began shuffling and stamping their feet the way buffalo do when they're nervous. The more the boy cried, the more Coyote howled to make him feel better. The more frightened the buffalo became. One buffalo became so afraid that he began to run. The other buffalo ran after him. They ran and ran until they scattered all over the plains. The monster ran after the buffalo. When the monster was gone, Coyote took the small boy to live with the people. The monster hunted and hunted, but the buffalo had scattered. Late that night, when the monster returned to his lair, young warriors were waiting. They killed the monster, much to the relief of one small boy, and all of the people, and all of the animals. Can you find meanings in this story about education? If so, send your insights to Ba at lovemoreconsulting.com. A three-person panel will select the most relevant stories, and they will be read at the end of a subsequent podcast. Again, that's ba at l-u-v-m-o-u-r c-o-n-s-u-l-t-i-n-g dot com. I look forward to your insights and to learning from you. Those insights selected will receive a copy of the award-winning book so valuable for parents and educators. Grow Together, Parenting as a Path to Well-Being, Wisdom, and Joy by Dr. Josette Lovemore. Yes, we have the same last name, and we are married, and we have been working together in holistic education for more than 30 years. But that's not the reason I offer this book. Check out her many accolades and the book reviews on our website, lovemoreconsulting.com. You probably know with your vast knowledge, but do you know the quote from William Blake where he says, I got down on my knees and called the worm mother? Yes. Isn't that that's, oh, yes. Uh, just a killer, isn't that's it? That's right. That's right. And then also the one from uh, uh, Lawrence that said, Oh, dear rose that is planted in the vase on the table, we've cut you from your roots and thus from the love. Yeah, D. H. Lawrence. Yeah, yes. Yeah, but that, but there, but poet, poets get this, yeah. right? And uh, unfortunately, politicians get it, <laughs> and religions get it, but yeah, they take they us do. in the wrong direction. Yeah. So there'll be lots of people who'll hear this podcast who are inclined towards holistic education. The distribution that we're intending is through all of us. This is an all of us process. What is the principal message you would like to get to them? If you were going to leave them with one message, what would it be? I guess the one message is one that came to me in a vision after a near-death experience on the Rio Uric River in Mexico. And it was a cat and a fawn, a mountain lion and a fawn that we had come upon. And they turned into the letters C-A-T-F-A-W-N. And C-A-T 
concentration-activated transformation is trans-based learning. And it's affected by four major things. And if we could just get in touch with those four things, fawn, fear, authority, words, and nature. And fear in the indigenous perspective and authority and words and nature are very different from dominant Fear, and I'll say this real briefly, fear becomes... Take your time. All right, so in the, in, 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 if we can understand and change our view, our worldview of fear, authority, words, and nature, and then take the new worldview and replace the hypnotic programs that we now have with the new hypnotic programs, I think that, that that's a major good starting place. And so we know the dominant culture of view of fear is we don't like it. We avoid it at all costs. When it happens, we freeze, we whatever, right? All right. In the indigenous worldview, once the fight or flight mechanism does its thing, fear becomes an opportunity for practicing a virtue. Okay? So patience, fortitude, generosity, humility, honesty. All right? Authority. In the dominant culture, authority comes from everywhere external to us. The preacher, the peddler, the, the papa, everywhere, the books, the pope. Whereas in the, in the indigenous cultures, there's only one high authority for decision-making, and that's personal lived experience and reflection on it, okay? Under the umbrella of recognizing everything is connected. Um, you know, people think that indigenous cultures are, uh, are, are collective and, and, and dominant culture is individualistic. No, no. There's nobody more autonomous and individualistic than an indigenous person. It's just that the goal for that is for the greater good. The third one is words. Uh, in the dominant culture, words have become, and even in, in our book, Greg Hetty and I wrote a book called Critical Neurophilosophy and Indigenous Wisdom. We started out thinking that by coinciding it with brain science, everybody would jump onto indigenous wisdom. I've thought that too. Yeah, opposite happened. The, 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 and, and the Institute of Nordic Science did an article on this that what we found was that the Western world or the worldview lens that the neuroscientists look through biases, like for example, they give Monopoly game money out in a setting in a lab and they tell, they whisper to some people, I want you to be generous and hand out your money uh, to this guy while they're looking at their brains. And because a part of the brain lights up when they give the money away, that's the same part where they had noted in a previous experience that selfishness exists they conclude there's no such thing as altruistic generosity. It's all self-serving to get something in return, right? I guess, and same thing with honesty. Same, we did all these major uh, core values of indigenous people, and we found this across the board, right? So we changed the title of the book rather than rewriting it to critical <laughs> neural philosophy, right? So, so words uh, are used for deception. And one of the neuroscientists, you know, say, oh, that's a natural human uh, 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 attribute for survival. No, no, not it's not right. And so um, that, that that's another one. You know, and with the English language, which is noun based compared to our indigenous languages, which are verb based, it's much easier to, to to categorize into a deception. Final one is of course nature. That in, that nature is is to be utilized only for human benefit is the primary uh, function of our economic system, whereas looking at it as a teacher, like when I was at Standing Rock, you know, Mini Wichoni, the definition of that in Lakota is this is the water, this is the essence 
of what you and I are, like the mother's milk. Well, you drink that, it's a whole different phenomenon, right? So if we look at how we think of, well, we have a problem in life or a challenge in life, what am I afraid of? And how can I practice a virtue? Um, on whose authority am I believing that? It was it an early childhood a hypnotic belief? Um, what words do I use when I talk about that to myself? Do I look in the mirror and say, I am fat? Is that true? If it's not true, then you've got to change it. And if I really gone out and watched an anthill and, and, and seen what's going on there and tried to learn from that, and then how can I put all those things together with trans-based learning? Wow. That, thank you so much. Uh, do you have another minute or two? Or I know sure. you're so busy here and sure. so honored sure. by your time. Well, um, at, at this rite of passage that I was mentioning uh, to you, Josette and I were the elders there. And so each of the parents and staff had time uh, during certain activities to come and talk with us. And to a person, they saw themselves as broken. And it just struck me. I have to tell you, Four Arrows, I was, my heart was just weeping. Our world is broken. It's broken, but they see themselves as broken. They've forgotten. They don't even have any notion. And these are people who got it together to come to a rite of passage. But see, those are the people that are actually having a head start because they recognize it. Once you recognize you're, you're broken, that's why they came to the rites of passage, right? That's actually a, a, a step in the direction. It's the arrogance of not recognizing that you're broken because you got so much money, for example. That's where the, the, the damage is, is, is really happening. Thank you. And I have one more question, just personal, and we can edit this out later if you like. But um, I was at a conference. Jack was there too in Kauai, uh, in Hawaii. And um, on the uh, pre- presenters with us was a man from the Lakota Nation who was, I don't know how to say it, I'm sure I'm saying this poorly, in charge or in the head or the wisdom, I guess, of the educational approach in the Lakota Nation for the children. Uh, uh, formerly on the reservation in terms of the school yes. system? Yes. Or, okay, so, yeah, so go ahead. So, um so, uh, and he happened to hear me, uh, me talk about our understanding of development and how it goes. And he brought out a shield and he pointed to the shield was divided into four uh, quadrants. And he said, these quadrants are what you're talking about. Uh, and then he had to leave because there was a family emergency and he couldn't stay for the whole conference. And I never had a chance to, 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 to ask about it. And it just stays with me for so long. Is there, in your understanding, a developmental, and I don't want, you know, a developmental understanding of children? That's what he seemed to indicate. The best research that you can find on this is Darcia Navarez. We, we did, she's at Notre Dame and she's a specialist in child development. And she, all of her work now, and she just won a major award for it, is looking at the difference in developmental approaches of indigenous children who are nurtured much longer and, 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 you know, right. all this kind of stuff. So, so that's really good scholarly research. There's an, the eight shield program that breaks the four quadrants of the, of the shield into eight places. That is a nature-based thing. That's really a, a wonderful, uh, program that people can look at. 
Um, but we're really essentially, I think, this, this, whoever this was, I was dean of education at Oglala Lakota College on the Pine Ridge Reservation. What year was that? Uh, I was there uh, around uh, when I told my story in 1999, I think, from 1999. Well, this was earlier than that. This was probably 94, 95. Yeah, that was, I would have been there after that, right? But keep in mind, all of the reservations, all of the, the education in the United States is dictated by the state. And it's always a struggle to bring in the indigenous wisdom. It's a very small part of the day, unfortunately. And I, I've had children at Northern Arizona University, children, I'm sorry, young people who will be teachers in one semester. Uh, and on Columbus Day, I gave them an assignment to go read from the primary documents of Columbus's own logbook. They came back in shock because in all their education on the reservation, these are full-blood Apache, Hopi, and Navajos, they had never learned anything untoward about the, the legacy. Now, and that was maybe, this is, I'm talking now, this is 18 years ago, but still, right? So, um, but, but, if there, but there, there were people uh, on the reservation when I got there who were really fighting to bring cultural relevance into the curriculum, and, and he may have been one of those. But essentially, it seems like you're talking about the medicine wheel. And the medicine wheel learning is a developmental thing that once we do one cycle at another age level, we start it again. Really, I'm a grandfather now. Yes. And I can tell you that's absolutely true. Exactly, yes. exactly. All right. Good. It was a wonderful. Thank, uh, you, thank you so, so much. Meetings with Remarkable Educators is a production of Lovemore Consulting 2 LLC. Copyright Ba and Josette Lovemore. 2018. Our sound engineer, Dimitri Young. Our webmaster, Nathan Young. And our all-important media maven, Cleo Young. All podcasts are transcribed with show notes and can be found at lovemoreconsulting.com slash podcasts. Bye and Josette Lovemore would also like to thank Self-Designed Graduate Institute. We teach there, and at Self-Design, we nurture each learner's ability to explore inner and outer worlds and discover his or her own deep understanding and vision. Go to the SDGI website and see for yourself. That's www.selfdesigninstitute.org. This is Ba Lovemore, reminding you that holistic relationships with children leads to joy and self-knowledge with the adults in their lives. With respect for you and for children everywhere, see you next time.